Now please turn with me once again to the book of Exodus, chapter 20, as we continue our study of the Ten Commandments. We have looked at the first four commandments, and we looked at the Sabbath command last Lord's Day morning, which brings us tonight to the fifth commandment and the beginning of what's often called the second table of the law. This is a classic division of the law. Sometimes you might see artwork of two stone tablets, and you'll see Roman numerals 1 through 4 on the one tablet and Roman numerals 5 through 10 on the other tablet. And sometimes people will wonder, why that uneven splitting? Why not just 5 and 5? Well, it's just this. The first four commands deal primarily with our duty toward God. And the latter six commands deal with our duty toward our neighbor. And so tonight we begin as we come to what is often called the second table of the law, our duty towards others. And we consider the fifth commandment today as it stands at the head of these neighbor-oriented commands of God's law. So let's read God's word and then we'll pray and ask for his blessing as we study it together. We will read simply verse 12 tonight, the fifth commandment. This is God's holy word. Once again, take care how you hear it, beloved. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Amen. Thus far, God's holy and inerrant and inspired word to us tonight. May he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. Would you pray with me? Oh God, would you open our eyes so that like the psalmist, we may behold wondrous things out of your law, to hear it gladly, to receive it seriously, to treasure it up in our hearts joyfully, and would you seal it to our souls for all eternity, and all for Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. As we move from the first table of the law to the second table of the law, sometimes these the orienting of our minds in these things might shift us around into thinking we've gone from a, a posture or, or maybe a, a consideration of things that are high and lofty and, and hard to understand and maybe even unattainable to much simpler things. In fact, I was speaking with one of our church members over the weekend, and this dear sister said jokingly, oh good, now I don't have to feel so much conviction now until we get to these other commands which are much simpler to understand. Whew. And of course, she was just joking, but there can be a sense of that as we step away from the first and second and third and fourth command and get on into these fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, and tenth commands. The latter six commands sometimes seem very simple. There's not much to think about. It's just very surface level, and we've generally kept to these precepts, and so all is well, and I don't know why we're spending half an hour or so dwelling upon it. Well... Those of us who've been in Reformed or Presbyterian churches for a while are likely familiar with this command. I mean, really many, 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 many Christians in any Bible-believing and teaching church will find this to be a, something of familiar territory. And perhaps, once again, passing by and glossing it over without much thought. You might be tempted to think, well, I, I honor my parents, I love them, or perhaps if our relations are strained, we think, I, I treat them with respect and make sure that they are taken care of and not destitute, so I'm, I'm pretty good on this command. Check. But if we step back for a moment, we realize that this command and its implications are rather radical for our times. You see, we live, and we have lived for quite a while, in an anti-institutional age, anti-God, anti-church, 
anti-government, anti-business, anti-family. And so there's actually a lot that's assumed in this little command. It assumes a father and a mother, a family unit, bearing children, living in relatively close proximity to one's forebears, etc. And just by way of context, what are we facing in terms of the social views on these matters? Well, according to Pew Research, in 1970, 67% of Americans, ages 25 to 50, were living with their spouse and one or more children younger than age 18, so non-adult children, 67% in the year 1970. In the year 2021, that share of young adults ages, or adults ages 25 to 50, that share is down to 37%, 37%. According to an academic study done just a few years ago by California State University, less than half the people surveyed said that they enjoy being around the elderly, while nearly 20% said they outright do not enjoy being around elderly people. The survey noted that common feelings toward the elderly are that they are of low status and incompetent, often depicted in media forms as frail, feeble, financially distressed, and not contributing to society. Moreover, it's no secret that we live in an age of anti-authority. Many people have a distrust of government, which may be perfectly warranted, but there's also a prevailing attitude that nobody anywhere has any right to tell me what to do about anything. And the surveys have borne this out. Ligonier State of Theology survey just last year found that 43% of adults, 43%, disagree either somewhat or strongly with this statement. The Bible has the authority to tell us what we must do. 43% say no to that statement. And the numbers get even worse if we rephrase the statement as the church has authority or church teaching has authority or the sermon or church ministers, elders, leaders, etc. One man responding to a survey put it quite bluntly, and I think that his honesty captures the prevailing attitude of our era. When asked, who has the authority to tell you what to do? His answer, myself and anyone else to whom I choose to grant that privilege. As it turns out, the fifth commandment really is quite the word for our day. Now, as we've mentioned before, the law of God is both spiritual and comprehensive. Each commandment of the Ten Commandments is a summary for a whole category of sins forbidden on the one hand and duties required on the other hand. There's more contained in each commandment than meets the eye, you might say. Each command is is almost like a seed, and from that seed blossoms a great vibrant tree of implications for how a redeemed people live life toward God. And to extend the metaphor, in the Psalms, God's people are likened to flourishing trees. This seed that blossoms into a flourishing tree is not meant to produce onerous, copious burdens, but rather fruit, fruit sweet and plenteous, for the nourishment of God's people. God's law given for the welfare and the good of his people, that they might better live that redeemed life, life toward God and life toward neighbor. And more than just a mere statement of respect those who gave life or gave birth to you, the fifth commandment teaches us a very great deal about how we relate to God and how we relate to those with influence over us and more. 
how badly, I want to suggest to you, how badly we need the message of Exodus 20, verse 12, in our day and age. So three points by which to study this command tonight. Three points. First, a command regarding God. Then, a command regarding others. And then thirdly, a command with a promise. A command regarding God, then regarding others, and then finally, a command with a promise. So first, a command regarding God. As we've already hinted at, this command is the first at the top of that second table of the law. And though it most narrowly helps us understand some of our duties towards other people, it's not as if it doesn't address, in some regard, our disposition or relation to the Lord God. Indeed, in many ways, this command serves as a connection or a a bridge commandment bringing together those two tables. If the first table is fundamentally saying, you need to love and worship the Lord God rightly and him alone and live for him, if that's what the first table is saying, then the second table helps us connect the dots by saying, this is how you show forth your love for God in this way. This is how you live as my people. This is how you demonstrate your love for me, in part by living your life as a community of worshiping, a worshiping people in this way and doing these things. And lest we miss the point, though we may not realize it at first blush, honoring father and mother is a derivative duty that is reflective of how we honor God. Several commentators point out that the word honor which begins the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother, that word honor in Hebrew is kavod. Now that word is often translated as glory, God's glory, especially God's kavod. It's, at, at its root, it means something like heaviness or weightiness. Psalm 22, verse 23, it says, all you offspring of Jacob glorify him. That is, regard God with the weightiness, with the seriousness, with the gravity that he's due. And it uses that same word here in Exodus 20, verse 12, to refer to how we regard father and mother, with a weightiness, with a seriousness. Malachi chapter 1, verse 6, is often cited in reference to the fifth commandment. It might even be one of the cross-references in the margins of your own Bibles. You can hear something of the echo of this commandment in Malachi. And when Malachi says this, it's God speaking at this point. Malachi 1, verse 6. As a son honors his father and a servant his master, if I then am a father, where is my honor? If I am a master, where is my fear? The point being that God is making through the prophet Malachi the honor that we ought to give to earthly fathers, that honor should naturally be reflected in how we regard the Lord God Almighty. The fifth commandment echoes really the main idea of the first four commandments in a number of ways. God is to be honored as a father, and we are to honor our own parents with a similar, not identical, but a similar honor and reverence and love. One of the great hallmarks of the Reformed tradition is the idea that the piety of the heart must translate into practice. The piety of the heart must translate into practice. Or, as one of the ladies at our church in Mississippi would often remind the children, love is an action word. In our day and age, it's often reduced to a mere feeling or a sentiment or an emotion. And she was very correct, I think, to remind and emphasize to the children, love is an action word. 
If ye love me, the Lord Jesus Christ said, how do we show it? Keep my commandments, the Lord Jesus said. Faith without works is dead, says James in Holy Scripture. If I can put, put it just a little provocatively, the fifth commandment challenges us, saying, people of God, you say you love God. Well, let's see it. Where's the evidence? We can have all the warm, fuzzy, pious feelings about God that we want all day long. But if that doesn't translate into a lived piety, a lived and practiced faith, it is for naught. But, put another way, we can read our Bible, and we can pray, and we can memorize our catechism all day long, but if at the end of the day we disregard and dishonor our mother and father, this evidence is that we don't truly love God. The vertical love that we have toward God, our Savior, must translate into a horizontal-oriented action. There is no way to truly honor God while dishonoring your family, dishonoring your parents. Now, there are some important caveats here, and we'll talk about those in a moment. Strained relations can so often exist in our sinful world. I was speaking with a brother about that just this morning. We'll get into that in a moment. But the bigger point here is how we treat the mothers and fathers in our life, both biological and otherwise. How we treat them is reflective of how we honor the Lord who made us. Jesus had some strong words about this in Mark chapter 7. He said this, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. Moses said, Honor your father and mother. But you say, If a man tells his father or his mother... Whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is given to God. Sorry, Mom and Dad. Those finances that would have provided for you in your need, in your old age, where you're unable to provide for yourself, I would have, I've decided to give it to God. Tough luck for you. The Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 5 says this, If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Taking spiritual inventory, beloved, some self-examination, taking spiritual stock is good. You say you love God, good, good. There's lots of ways to measure that to some degree. One of them is, how are you honoring or regarding the fathers and mothers in your life? Children, boys and girls, do you love God? Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ, boys and girls? That's good. How about mom and dad? Do you obey them when they tell you to do something? Are you respectful to your mom and dad? Are you honoring them well? And many times, not always, but many times, relations and family dynamics can be reflective of a deeper spiritual dynamic. Sometimes, when the family life seems ruptured, it, it might be that there is a deeper rupture with God going on in that household. The vertical will impact the horizontal. On the other hand, there's comfort here too. Because in many other cases, in a place where Jesus Christ is cherished and loved and honored and revered, that, that love toward Christ produces an entirely inhospitable environment for Satan's schemes praise God. Generally speaking, generally speaking, a home where Christ is honored 
is a hostile environment for lovelessness. A home where Christ is loved is often a home marked by honor and respect among parents and children. So that's the first thing for us to see here. The fifth commandment situates our obedience in terms of how we love and regard God our Father. Honor your father and mother as a derivative, as a reflective expression, an outflow of your love towards the God who has made you and redeemed you. That's the first thing, a command regarding God. And that brings us to the second point, a command regarding others. Now, the most obvious and natural reading of this command speaks to the relationship of parents and children. The New Testament reinforces the same idea. Colossians 3.20, we read it earlier. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Ephesians 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And then Paul, in Ephesians 6, verse 2, he goes on and quotes the fifth commandment as his supporting text as he makes that exhortation in Ephesians 6. Now, that little phrase, in the Lord, is important. Because, boys and girls, what it means is that if parents or other authority figures command us to sin, we must not obey them. Boys and girls, you, you here tonight, you have parents who love the Lord Jesus. That's, that's why you're here with them right now, worshiping Christ. They want you to hear the words of life the words of Christ. They want you to grow in his grace. But as you likely know, there are other parents out there who don't know the Lord, who don't love the Lord, and sometimes parents may tell their children to do things that are wrong, and that are sinful. And in those instances, we must not do those things. But, boys and girls, when our parents tell us to do good things, to do right things, to do wise and honest and sensible things, it is part of our duty to the Lord Jesus to obey our parents gladly, respectfully, and quickly. Well, parents can be frustrating, children. Parents can sin. They're not perfect. But in general, they want you to do good and right things. And so, boys and girls, part of your striving to please the Lord and love God, part of your living for Christ, part of that means saying, I want to honor and obey my parents. You say that you love the Lord Jesus, praise God. Nothing makes our hearts gladder than to hear you say that. One of the ways you can show that is by striving to honor your parents to the best of your ability. But the word there in the fifth commandment is honor. Now, the truth is many folks in our congregation and elsewhere don't have healthy relationships with parents. We have some Christian friends who have suffered outright abuse and horrific things at the hand of parents. And for such people, keeping the fifth commandment, honoring their parents, it will look rather different than for others who have a happy and healthy relationship with their parents. For some of us, we have parents that aren't believers. Sometimes they encourage us to do wrong or sinful things. And some of you here tonight might even be estranged from your parents, maybe even on account of your faith. Because of your Christianity, because of your profession of faith and your love for Jesus Christ, those bonds have been severed, relationally speaking. The word there, beloved, is honor. Not an unqualified, unreserved, servile obedience. Not a compulsory conformity to every instruction and every whim, but honor. Honor is not the same thing as unquestioning compliance. 
especially if that compliance might be asking you to perform or facilitate sin. We must always honor God above men. I know one young man who has a rather difficult and complicated relationship with his parents. It's strained at best. But he told me once that that's part of the reason he loves the church. That's why he's so thankful to God for the church. He said once, while sin has so greatly damaged my biological family, God has given me a hundred father and mother figures in my life through his church. Men and women who have loved and mentored me and poured into my life in countless ways. Praise God for that. And of course, moms and dads, God's word has instruction for us too, doesn't it? Right after Paul tells children to obey there in Colossians 3.21, Paul says, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Ephesians 6, verse 4, right after quoting the fifth commandment, Paul says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger or wrath, they might say in some other translations, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Parents, we must seek to be faithful as we raise our children. How appropriate that we get to think about this tonight, having just witnessed two covenant baptisms earlier this morning. We didn't plan it this way, but once again, in God's happy providence, this is how things shook out. We must be faithful to raise our children, diligent, yes, but we must never forget to trust the Lord Jesus with our kids. Children, honor your parents. Parents, let us strive to be honorable. Love our children that they might love us, and God willing, that they might love the Lord and love him not in spite of us. The fifth commandment certainly deals with parents and children. But it also has a broader application, as we've already hinted at. That's what our catechisms help us understand. And I've included the references there in your bulletin insert, the various catechism questions that give further explanation. See, the command covers many more relationships than simply the relationship of parents and children. The catechism will often speak of superiors and inferiors. And and that's older language for people who are in charge of us and people who are under our care. Sometimes people hear that language of superior and inferiors, and we kind of bristle at that, not quite knowing what it means. But that language is still reflected in, in some places, like the military. You'll hear superior officer and things like that. Right? The president might be my superior, but my children are my inferiors, etc. The catechism helps us understand that there are obligations that both parties are supposed to render both up and down the chain of command, so to speak. Actually, the fifth commandment speaks to the way we relate to authority wherever we find it. Our relationship to those who have authority over us. Parents, employers, bosses, government authorities, even, in a sense, our forefathers in the faith. The larger catechism cites Isaiah 49, verse 23, for example. Kings shall be your foster fathers and their queens, your nursing mothers. Similarly, Romans 13 tells us to be subject to the government authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Pay to all what is owed them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. There's Paul borrowing that fifth commandment language and applying that fifth commandment principle to levels of authority beyond merely 
the nuclear or biological family. Here's where we do some spiritual inventory, beloved. How do you speak about your leaders? Especially when you disagree with them. Similar to relationships with parents, the word is honor. Not an unquestioning subservience, but honor. Do we speak of leaders honorably? Parents, bosses, church leaders, elders, civic leaders? Our world is much in the habit of mocking and sneering. But let us in the church, let us in the church, dear friends, let us not normalize disrespect and dishonor. We can disagree. We can even disagree strongly. But we are called to show honor even when we differ and disagree. Now think of how our society regards the elderly in many sectors. You heard the study, the, the, the survey examples, the citations, the questions and answers from earlier. Not wanting to be around the elderly, viewing them as a drain on society, as frail and inept and inconvenience. There's a fifth commandment principle in 1 Timothy 5, 1 and 2. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. How do we refer to our forefathers in the faith when they were wrong? We have churches. We have churches of our grandfather's generation who likely had some unhealthy and some silly practices even. They still ministered the gospel to us. Oh, we live in an age. We live in an age of such scorning and scoffing. And, and we in the Reformed world are not immune to it. Let's watch ourselves. Let our boast be in Jesus Christ, who has shown grace to us sinners, who has led us into the good paths. God forbid, truly, God forbid that we should be known by our arrogance. I thank you, Lord, that I am not like my grandpa's silly Baptist church down the road. Be careful. If third commandment red alarms go off when you smash your thumb with a hammer and you've got to force yourself to bite your tongue, I dare say we could do with a few more fifth commandment red alarms, certainly in my generation. We have luminaries and forefathers in our reformed tradition that were godly in all kinds of ways to whom we owe so much and yet they still sinned and in some cases they commanded and defended some pretty heinous things. We don't need to have an uncritical embrace of everything they taught. But is there not a fifth commandment principle in how we speak of them and how we learn from them and how we regard them? Not unquestioningly, not uncritically, but with a degree of appropriate honor nonetheless. Beloved, our Lord Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. Certainly he was referring to fellow disciples, but Paul in Romans 12 tells us to outdo one another in showing honor. And right after that, right after that, Paul says, be patient in tribulation and bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. The point being, honor is in rare supply these days. There's plenty of scoffing. There's plenty of sneering. There's plenty of mocking and derision and biting words sarcasm, and so forth. Acting honorably stands out. What a witness it might be to the power of the gospel and the transforming power of the Holy Spirit if the church might have a revolution 
in obedience to the fifth commandment, to outdo one another in showing honor to whom honor is due. So that's the second thing, a command regarding others. But then finally, a command with a promise. A command with a promise. Notice there at the end of this command, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Now remember where Israel is right now. She's at the foot of Mount Sinai. She's journeying toward Canaan, a land they did not yet possess, but a land which God had nonetheless promised to their father Abraham. And God is saying, if you will live according to my law, I will give you not just the land for your own possession, but I'll give you a long life to enjoy in the land that I will give you. Now, of course, this side of the cross, this side of the empty tomb, that promise is realized by us in a different way. For the church, there isn't some turf in the Middle East that is promised to us. The church of Jesus Christ is constituted of men and women and boys and girls from every nation, and we await, we long for that coming new creation. Nevertheless, the Apostle Paul, in the New Covenant, when he quotes this command and he modifies it, he continues to emphasize that promise attached to it. Ephesians 6, 1 and 2. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first command with a promise that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land. Not that the Lord your God is giving you, but the land. Wherever the Lord providentially has you, it will go well with you, that it might go well with you. And there's an important point to remind ourselves of here. And we've mentioned this before, but I think it bears repeating. Sometimes, sometimes in our circles, we are so careful, we are so careful to make sure that we disabuse people of any notion of works righteousness or the idea that they can somehow merit their salvation. And that's a good and appropriate caution, of course. But sometimes, sometimes we almost run the risk of discouraging obedience at all. So yes, let us be abundantly clear. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and not of our own merit, not of our works, lest any man should boast. Praise God for the grace of Christ. And at the same time, for the redeemed man, the redeemed woman, the regenerate heart, the heart that has embraced Christ by faith and become a new creation in him, there must be a category in our piety for obedience. The blessed life is the obedient life. Psalm 1 makes this absolutely clear. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. His delight is in the law of the Lord. How I love thy law, O Lord, says the redeemed heart. Again, if ye love me, keep my commandments, says the Lord Jesus to his disciples. The blessed life, the good life, is the obedient life. Understood rightly, this statement is one that we must not be allergic to. God's commands are good, and blessed is the one who walks in them. Do we truly believe that God's ways are the best ways? Do we truly believe that God's ways are the best ways and that it ought to be our desire to walk in them. Ordinarily, blessing and obedience are connected. And in God's providence, though there are exceptions, ordinarily, blessing follows honorable human relationships, where honor is shown in the home, in the church, and in wider society, generally, blessing follows. But is there any hope for fifth commandment breakers? 
Oh, I've got all kinds of dishonor. I've got all kinds of messed up relationships. I've got all kinds of spiteful words. I've got all kinds of disobedience that I've been doing. Is there any hope for me? You better believe it. This is our trade. We trade in the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was and is the obedient son. He is the great man of Psalm 1. He is the one who has perfectly kept the fifth commandment. He honored his earthly father and mother. Luke chapter 2, verse 21. Jesus went down to Nazareth and was submissive to them, namely Mary and Joseph. He was obedient not only to his earthly parents, but his father in heaven. Remember part of his John 17 prayer? Father, I have glorified you on earth, having finished, accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Even in agony, even as he's hanging on Calvary's cross, he looked at his mother, you remember? And he said, woman, behold your son, speaking of John. And to John he said, behold your mother. Honoring his mother, Jesus was, even in his moments of dying, wanting to make sure that she was cared for after he was gone. Though he was a son, he learned obedience by the things he suffered. Hebrews 5, verse 8. And it is in the obedience of this obedient son that we find our refuge and we find our hope. For lawbreakers, for fifth commandment breakers, dishonorable, disobedient, disdainful sinners such as us, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And in Christ, both the penalty and the power of sin has been broken. Shackles unclasped. And because the Savior's obedience and blood hide all our transgressions from view, our feeble, stumbling, inadequate attempts to obey God's commands are made acceptable in his sight. I love how our Westminster Confession puts it regarding our good works. Here's what it says. The persons of believers being accepted through Christ, their good works also are accepted in him. Not as though they were in this life wholly unblameable and unreprovable in God's sight, but that he, looking upon them in his Son, is pleased to accept and reward that which is sincere, although accompanied by many weaknesses and imperfections. Close quote. Our imperfect strivings, cleansed and purified by the blood of Jesus, so that they please, so that they are a delight to our Father in heaven. The great exchange, you see, his perfection for my sinfulness, my disobedience for his perfect obedience, so that even now my heart's imperfect obedience, my imperfect stumblings, my imperfect strivings, please my heavenly Father. The blessings of God's law promised in his law have been secured by Christ such that they may roll down upon his adopted children. You see, Christian, God is not content merely to pardon you. I wonder if you think about this. God is not content merely to pardon you, but to bless you. And to bless you on account of merit that you didn't earn. Hallelujah. What a savior. Who would not labor? Who would not strive for the smile of a master such as this? To take his yoke upon us, whose yoke is easy and whose burden is light. Oh, may it be that God would make us a people and make us a church who love and delight in the fifth commandment. In a world so full of cynicism and dishonor and scorn and disdain.
What a prime opportunity for us to be a people of the gospel who by God's grace might turn many to righteousness, might shine like the stars forever to the glory and praise of our great Savior. Praise God for the fifth commandment. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we pray that indeed we would be a people of honor in a world of disdain and scorn, that you would make us a gospel people who by God's grace might as your word says, turn many to righteousness and shine like the stars forever. Would you make it so and seal these words and these truths to our hearts both now and forever for our everlasting good and for your everlasting glory. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.